You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning. Good to have all of you here. Pastor Jeff, don't know me, uh, main uh, lead pastor here and do most of the main teaching, so just good to have you here this morning. Praise God and Hope that you are able to find your identity and who you are uh, in Christ because that really is um, how God sees you, how God wants you to see yourself. And so I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about um, part of that identity uh, this morning. I ran across an article uh, this past week, um, and it was an article that was kind of trumpeting The fact that uh, researchers at the Mayo Clinic, after decades of research and thousands and thousands of patients, have finally cracked the code to being happy. Aren't you happy that they figured out what it takes to be happy? They figured it out. They have discovered the secret mystery to being happy. You know what they said the code to happiness was? Putting the well-being of others ahead of yourself. That is profound. I've never heard that before. I would have never thought that being the ingredients to happiness. Thinking of others before yourself. They said one of the biggest hindrances to being happy is too much thinking about one's self. I'm thinking how many billions and billions of dollars did you spend over those decades trying to figure this one out? They also said learning to focus our thoughts on positive rather than negative thoughts would lead us to greater happiness. Now the reason I'm kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic about that is because over 2,000 years ago, A guy named Jesus, he became the first guy to really crack the code to being truly happy. And he shared them in a sermon. Matthew chapter 5. A lot of you know this. Beatitudes or Sermon on the Mount. Only Jesus just didn't crack the code to happiness He cracked an even greater code that goes beyond the realm of happiness. He said, if you want to be blessed, that's better than happiness. He said, if you want to be blessed, which is better and greater than just happiness, he says, I'm going to share with you the things you need to know and the things you need to do in order to be blessed. So for the next couple of weeks, months, Years, however long it takes me. I want to look at what Jesus had to say about cracking the code to blessings and how we really can begin to position ourselves, to position our hearts before God and just really to be able to walk in in, in more and more of the fullness of God's promises and blessings. Now that word blessed, it is a Greek word and in the Greek The way they translate that is it means to be fully satisfied. Listen to how one New Testament Greek dictionary defined this word, blessed. They said possessing the favor of God. 
That's, that's blessed is when you can begin to possess the favor of God. That state of being marked by fullness from God. It indicates the state of a believer, again, your identity in Christ, set of one who is a, uh, becomes a partaker of God's nature through faith in Christ. The believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit because of Christ and as a result should be fully satisfied despite or regardless the circumstances. Now, makaros differs from the word happy in that the person is happy who has good luck. And that word happy or happiness, it kind of comes from a, a word that, that we would say is, is hap or, or happenstance. It's, it's kind of just good luck, bad luck. You know, this day you're up, that day you're down, this day you're happy, this day you're sad. That's happiness. It, it's based on happenstance. It's, it's kind of good luck. To be blessed is equivalent to having God's kingdom within one's heart. Blessed is the one who is in the world, yet independent of the world. His or her satisfaction comes from God and not from favorable or happenstance circumstances. So beginning there in five, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus kind of begins to lay out and he cracks this code and he gives us those conditions to really possessing the favor of God and having the kingdom of God within one's heart. And this morning we're just going to begin with the first of, of those eight Beatitudes. Verse 1. One day as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, just on a side note here, in Jesus' day, the teacher always sat down and taught, and the people are the ones who stood and listened. I like that idea. I think I will sit down and make all of you stand for the next 45 minutes. I'm kidding, of course, but that is actually how they taught in Jesus' day. Jesus sat down and the people stood and listened. So the first condition to really possessing the favor of God to be possessing the kingdom of God within your heart, Jesus said, is to be poor in spirit. Now, what does that exactly mean? Now, again, Jesus is not talking here about financial poverty or physical poverty or economic poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. Let me give you the same verse from a couple of other different translations that make what Jesus was really saying much clearer. New Living Translation says, God blesses those who realize or are aware of their need for him. God's Word Translation says, God blesses those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The common English version said God blesses those who know they have great spiritual need. So you can kind of see a pattern developing there. 
To be poor in spirit means that we are aware of our continual, ongoing, great need for God. That we are aware of our uh, poverty-stricken spiritual condition and that we lack so much spiritually in comparison to all that God longs for us to possess and to walk in. To be poor in spirit, it simply means that we are aware of God's great, the magnitude of his blessings, of all that God has made available to us, that God longs to deposit within our lives, and how little of that we are actually appropriating and walking out in our lives. 2 Peter 1.3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Spiritual poverty. It's being aware of all that God has granted, all that God has made available to us pertaining to this physical life to godliness or our spiritual walk and how little of that we really apprehend and incorporate into our lives and how much more God grants and desires and wants for us to know and to walk in. The person who is poor in spirit is the one who says, Father, I see, I am aware of the great blessings you offer to me and God I am also aware of how little of that I'm actually experiencing in my emotions in my thought life in my Christian walk I'm poverty stricken in my spiritual walk in comparison to the full measure of what you desire and want me to walk in Lord you've given so much And I long to walk more and more deeply and more fully in all that you have and all that you are. I hear that reflected in the worship this morning. I heard that reflected in Jim's prayer. God, you are so good, but God, we want more. That is spiritual poverty. It's saying, God, you are good. But God, there's so much more to your goodness that that for whatever reason, I just have not walked in. And God, I want more. That is spiritual poverty. It's being aware of that. Another way of looking at this is through the lens of what I would call our spiritual reality versus our physical reality. Our spiritual reality, our spiritual man sees all of the blessings, all of the promises, all of the provisions of God that have been granted to us through the finished work of the cross of Christ. The full measure of God's grace has been fully available to us and it was paid for by the means of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Healing salvation, forgiveness, prosperity, sanctification, godliness, contentment, righteousness, peace, deliverance, all of that and more has been fully made available to us through the work of the cross. That's our identity. 
That's how God sees us. That is our spiritual reality. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Then there's our physical reality. How much of what all God has made available to us are you experiencing walking in in this physical life? The goal of a person who is spiritually poor, what they long for, what they're desiring is they want their physical reality to come into alignment with their spiritual reality more and more. So a spiritually poor person, when asked, how are you doing, they could say, well, in my spiritual reality, I'm awesome. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have the mind of Christ. That is my spiritual reality. But in my physical reality, I'm kind of struggling in a few places. I believe this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in part when he said in Romans 7, talking again about that struggle between our flesh and our spirit. Again, that physical sense, that physical realm versus the spiritual reality. Verse 18, he said, I know that nothing good lives in me. Again, that is an awareness of his spiritual poverty. Apart from you, without you, God, I have nothing He said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I can't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody here relate to what Paul is saying? Yeah. That again, that's that difference oftentimes between that spiritual reality and that physical reality. All of us have felt that struggle before, if we care to be honest about it. So what was the solution? Paul says in verse 25, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul's acknowledging, again, just that physical reality of wanting to do the right thing, but then not doing it versus the spiritual reality that the answer to that is available to us through the atoning work of Christ upon the cross. The person who is poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about here that says, man, when you become aware of this, you're gonna be blessed and the kingdom of heaven is gonna be yours. The person who is poor in spirit is the one who recognizes and is aware of the distance and the gap between that physical reality and the spiritual reality and knows that without God's power and presence in our lives, we will never walk in all that God has for us. Paul again acknowledges that in Philippians 3.12 where he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already achieved perfection but I press on. That's what a spiritually impoverished person does. I realize God's great blessings in my life. I realize God has so much more, and so I'm gonna press on for the deeper, for the greater. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. The apostle Paul I mean, a man who wrote over half of the New Testament, 
you would think this is a spiritual giant. Here's, here's a man who has it all figured out. And he's just acknowledging and he's saying, well, I've made great strides and great gains in my spiritual walk with God. He said, I continue to press on to go deeper and deeper with God. I want to draw more and more upon the power and the presence of God in my life. So when Jesus is calling us to that awareness, to that place of spiritual poverty, He is saying, are you aware? Do you recognize your spiritual poverty in comparison to, in light of all that God has made available to you? And if you are, are you pressing on to possess all that I have possessed you for? It is in that awareness of our spiritual journey, of our spiritual poverty and pressing on to greater, deeper perfection that the kingdom of God will just begin to break forth among you. Now, if you see that experiential gap, again, between your physical reality and the spiritual reality, if if you are aware of your spiritual poverty compared to all that God has provided, and it doesn't compel you, it doesn't move you to act on that, that is called spiritual passivity. If you hear what I'm saying that there is a gap between your physical reality and your spiritual reality where you currently are and all that God has for you. And it does not compel you to move toward action. We call that spiritual passivity. When we see the lack between what we are experiencing versus all that God has made available and provided, and are not moved to do something about it, that is spiritual passivity. On the other hand, if we are not aware of our spiritual poverty, if we are not aware of our continual, ongoing need for God's power and presence in our life, if we think, I'm just fine the way I am, I'm just content with where I'm at with God, I really don't need any more, That is pride. And I'll tell you, the two biggest pushbacks, if you're having pushback against this message this morning, the two greatest pushbacks in your heart this morning is spiritual passivity and pride. And God wants to deal with that this morning. Some of you may be experiencing arrogance. Oh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't need to listen to any of this. I'm not poor in spirit. I'm great. I'm mighty. I'm a spiritual giant. That is arrogance. God wants to deal with that this morning. So if you're having pushback, if this message isn't settling well with you this morning, There may be passivity and pride working in your heart. This principle is exactly really what was demonstrated in Luke 18 beginning in verse 9. There's actually a biblical example of what I'm telling you. 
Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence. That's that arrogance. That's that pride. Great confidence in who I am. Great confidence and arrogance in my identity in Christ. So Jesus tells a story who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned and judged and criticized and ridiculed everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everybody else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. I'm a tither, God. But the tax collector, the despised tax collector, stood at a distance And he was so aware of his spiritual poverty that he didn't even look up to heaven as he prayed. That's how aware of it he was. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful. There again, that difference between the physical reality the spiritual reality. I'm a sinner, but God, I know great is your mercy. And I, I want to experience more of that mercy. I want you, God, to invade my life with your mercy. That's how impoverished I am. Jesus said, I tell you this, the sinner, the despised tax collector, not the Pharisee, not the tither, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That is a great example of what it means to be poor in spirit. Again, the tax collector, he's aware of his physical reality, his sinful condition, how much he has fallen short in apprehending all that God has for him. He sees, he's aware, he recognizes there is this great gap between my physical reality and the spiritual reality. And he just calls out in honesty, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whereas the Pharisees, not aware at all of his spiritual poverty and thinks he's just fine. Actually, he's much better than anybody else. And that is pride. The one who was aware of his spiritual poverty and was moved to action was the one who was justified. The one who was aware of the gap between where he was in life versus all that God desired for him to possess and to walk in was the one who was justified. Now, I had one of those moments several weeks ago. I'm somewhat embarrassed. I put this in, took it out, put it in, took it out, put it in, took it out. But not to share this, I I came to realize, really would only be out of spiritual pride. Now, over the Memorial Day weekend, 
Many of you know we had a carnival right next door to the church building in the parking lot. And the Wednesday before the start of the carnival um, rides, um, carnival workers started showing up on the parking lot that Wednesday before, and they're kind of just getting uh, rides all set up. So Wednesday morning, I pulled up to the church, and there were probably eight to ten people kind of milling around doing various uh, duties in getting the carnival rides assembled. So I got out of the car, and you know, I kind of had a walk uh, on the sidewalk between where I parked and getting to the building, and their language was really pretty rough. Um, cigarettes kind of hanging out of their mouths, tattoos all over their bodies. If you have a tattoo here, don't, I, 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 I'm not lumping you in with, with any of this, so some of you are like kind of covering up your tattoos. Don't need to do that. I'm good with it. I don't have any, don't want any, but I'm good with it. Amen, they're saying. I'm not in, also encouraging you going out and getting your body covered in these either, but I'm good with it. And they, they looked like they had just crawled out of the gutter. And my thought is, these people are so disgusting. And my first and foremost thought was, I hope they don't do anything to damage the church building. Just being honest with you. Later on that day, as I'm kind of having my pompous prayer devotion time, I felt the Lord kind of bringing these people to my mind. And as I'm kind of resurfacing my original feelings about them, I kind of felt the Lord said to me in my spirit, is that how you think I see them? Now, my religious side, and I think we all have one of those, just immediately kicks in. And, and, and I said, oh, no, Lord. And so he said, then why do you? I immediately, painfully became aware of my spiritual poverty. In that moment, I recognized the gap between my physical reality, the kind of the way I saw them, and the way I really needed to see them, and it bothered me. Now again, I, I could have, you know, acknowledged that, yes, God, I know you see them differently, but you're God. And I could have just moved on, not done anything, not even given it another thought, not even begin to look at the issues of what was happening in my heart to bring me to that kind of a place. And again, thinking, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. I'm better than they are. And that would have been pride. It would have been passivity. So I decided the next morning, I, to, to, Janie and I talked about this. So I decided the next morning, I'm going to do something about that gap. So I went to the store. I bought a bunch of donuts, came to the church, made coffee. Just set a table right up out there in the parking lot, put my donuts, put the coffee, took devotional materials out there, and I just stood there for a couple of hours and visited with them made the donuts, the coffee available, took some devotional material, just reminded them, God loves you. God wants to do great things in your lives. Here's a devotional, a 40-day devotional. You can just kind of take that, some short readings, and hope that God uses that to bless your life. 
And I think every person that was there came at least once. Some were repeat customers, which was great. (laughs) Got to know them, got to know their names. I don't know if any of that did them much good beyond the free coffee and the donuts. But I got to tell you, it really changed my heart. And the way I saw them, I probably have a long ways to go, I'm sure I do, in my attitude toward them, but I at least in that moment became aware of my heart and my attitude towards them. Again, my spiritual poverty. How diametrically opposed it was to God's heart and thoughts concerning them. And I was compelled to do something about it. Matter of fact, I was like just a bull in a china closet that day. People were here wanting to see my office. I don't have time to show you. I've, I, I mean, I was, I got to get out there. I, I just felt such a strong compelling of the Lord. Get out there. Don't get distracted. Don't get waylaid. Get out there. I want to change your heart. And so I, I just blew through pretty much everything and everybody to get that table set up, to get that out there. And just again, to begin to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm positioning myself. Change my heart. That's what I believe Jesus is trying to get at when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are aware and recognize their great need, their great ongoing continual need for me. I am aware. Painfully aware at times of my continual, ongoing, great need for God, and I see how prideful and passive the tendency is for me to become when I lose sight of that awareness, when I lose sight of my spiritual poverty, of my ongoing need for more and more of all that he is and all that he offers and provides for me through his amazing grace. Now, this is the first beatitude Jesus begins with, and I think he does this purposely because I'm not sure fulfilling the remaining beatitudes are possible without it. Until you and I become aware of that great gap that exists between our physical reality and our spiritual reality and the fullness of all that God is and all that God desires to pour out and provide for us, we will never come to the place where we mourn over the injustices that are happening in this world. We will never fully recognize The need for humility. I'm fine just the way I am. Thank you very much. There's no humility in that. We'll never hunger or thirst for righteousness, nor will we ever be merciful until we first become aware of that gap, our spiritual poverty before God, to become aware of that continual, ongoing, great need for God's power and presence in our lives. It is the gateway, I believe, to walking more fully in the remaining Beatitudes, and I do not believe we can adequately do it until we first become aware of our spiritual poverty. 
the other thing to keep in mind is this is not a one-time acknowledgement. I'm not getting you to acknowledge one thing here this morning and then we move on to bigger and better things. This is an ongoing, continual state of recognition. This has got to become a daily part of our walk with God. As a matter of fact, I'm very tempted to put somewhere in my office where I would see every day, remember your spiritual poverty. Because we must never lose sight of this. We don't just one day say, oh Lord, I'm aware of my spiritual poverty, and then we never move, or we never think about it again, and we kind of just move on as if God healed us of that. We must Always be aware of the gap that exists, albeit varying degrees. Some days you're going to be walking in more fullness. Other days you're going to be struggling more. I understand that. But we've got to come to that place where we are willing to do, compelled to do whatever it takes to move more deeply and more fully into the working of God's grace into our lives. Because today, I may be aware of the gap in my heart toward carnival workers. Tomorrow, it may be my attitude toward the rich. Next week, it may be my heart toward Muslims. Next month, it may be my heart toward my family. God will always be drawing us onward in that abundant grace toward narrowing that gap between the physical reality and the spiritual reality. There will always be places in my life and in your life where we are not walking in the fullness of all that God has provided for us through the cross and we will need his grace and his presence to propel us on to becoming more and more like him in every way he designed and is calling us to be. One other word of caution and encouragement before we close. God does not want us to become aware of our spiritual poverty, of our great ongoing continual need of him, and in that awareness feel that he is displeased or disappointed in us. That is not the point of this. God does not want us to be poor in spirit or to have the awareness of that and at the same time be filled with guilt, shame, and condemnation because of it, because the exact opposite is true, and the enemy will do everything he can to exploit that. No matter how great the distance is between your physical reality and your spiritual reality this morning, God still loves us unconditionally. His promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He meant it through the good times, the bad times, the smooth times, the rough times, the times where we're walking in great obedience and the times where we're not even listening to him. His love never changes. It never gives up on you. Someone ought to write a worship song. The scriptures over and over and over affirm our position, our identity, who we are in Christ, how he sees us. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It is in our belonging to him that he seeks to make us aware 
It's because he loves you so much, he doesn't want to see you stay there. He's got bigger and greater things for you. Deeper ways that, that he wants you to begin to walk in that spiritual reality, that identity of who you are in him. And he wants to open your eyes to that. He wants you to be aware of the gaps that you will begin to narrow that gap by just walking in obedience more and more to him. The heart of God toward us in that gap of our spiritual poverty. Just go back. I'm not going to go into the story this morning. Just out of time in John 8. Here's a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. The religious those who walk in a lot of pride and arrogance and passivity were very quick to point out to Jesus what the law of Moses said regarding such actions. This woman must be stoned. And Jesus challenges her accusers by saying, let those of you without sin be the first ones to cast those stones. You know how the story ends. They dropped him and they walked away. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are thine accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus sees her physical reality, her spiritual reality. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you in that gap. I don't condemn you in that deficiency. But I have so much more for you, daughter. Go and sin no more. God desires to awaken our hearts this morning to the deficiency, the gaps in our own lives, that awareness of how little we are actually experiencing of his fullness. And in that deficiency, just allow him to create a hunger, to begin to fan that flame of urgency. God, do whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever the cost to just draw nearer and nearer to you, to know you more deeply, to walk in your abundance more fully. God, I want that. That is spiritual poverty. It's an awareness that God has so much more for us than we're walking in this morning. I want to invite the worship team up here this morning and I know some of you have taken communion, others of you um, maybe are waiting and I want to just invite you as an opportunity to respond to this message this morning again is as God speaks to your heart this morning, you know, again, is there this awareness, is there this kind of need that you're aware of the gap, that you're aware of the deficiency this morning, or maybe you're not. And you just need God to open the eyes of your heart to, again, this poverty-strickenness in us. And again, not because God's going to condemn you or find fault or heap guilt and shame on you, but because God just says, there. Now that you see the gap, now that you see that continual great ongoing need for more and more of me, you're going to be blessed and the kingdom of heaven is going to be yours. That is the invitation this morning. I want to be blessed. I want to walk in the favor of God. I want to possess the kingdom of God within my heart. And I believe it starts 
at that place again of just recognizing how poor we are in comparison to the riches that are in him, that are there for you and for me this morning. Father, we just ask now, Lord, that you would just come and just do open heart surgery this morning. God, there are just some of us this morning that just need to have the blocks of pride, arrogance, passivity removed. That, God, we would again just be allowed to see that gap, that deficiency again. And it's going to be different for each one of us in this room this morning. But, God, no matter where we may be in our relationship, our walk with you, that, God, your desires for us are always greater and deeper and fuller than what we currently have. And so, God, just give us a hunger for more of you this morning. And know that, God, you long to lead us, to guide us, and to take us to deeper and deeper places, God, that we would just press on this morning. We just thank you, Lord, for those words that Jesus spoke. And, God, may they just, again, be seeds that are just planted deep within our hearts this morning. That it's not just recognizing this and moving on, it's recognizing this and seeing this as a continual state of our being. And yet in that, God, just again to to fully know that you love us, you delight over us. The fullness of your joy is still extended toward us in that. So, Lord, we just receive that, Lord. We want to walk more fully in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we just end our time here together this morning, I invite you just to stand as we just again worship. Be just a great way to connect with God this morning, a great way to ask God, God, just fill me with more of who you are this morning. If you've not yet taken communion, you can kind of come, just take a piece of bread, dip that in the juice. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.